welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life and all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? at night out here in the grove with the twilight sounds it feels fitting for the content of this week's podcast because I want to talk about the twilight of the world as we know it I can feel it in my body I've talked on this podcast so many times about grief and my own grief keeps opening into a wider and wider ocean within me. I watch the community around me splinter into smaller and smaller factions. Groups that once included each other have now fractured into smaller parts. the ecosystem where I live changing rapidly before my eyes from year to year, the climate changing rapidly before my eyes, we've all heard words like tipping points and overshoot phrases like the power of exponents. I've seen a lot of people die. And I've seen people die from different sorts of things. Some deaths come on slowly and gradually after a long and obvious decline. We call these deaths the long, slow goodbye. Some deaths are wild and tragic and happen in the blink of an eye with no warning. I feel like different communities around the world are experiencing the death of this world as we know it in various different ways. Appalachian towns in Kentucky just experienced the tragic blink of an eye death of their communities with massive flooding. The desert southwest of the United States is experiencing the long, slow goodbye as all of the water dries up and what was once drought is now aridification and desertification. There are certain types of diseases that go on unchecked slowly under the surface, growing more and more serious over years and years. 
kidney cancer in some people as an example of this. Pancreatic cancer is an example of this. Atherosclerotic heart disease as an example of this. Slowly over time, the disease progresses and worsens and the person's body shows no signs or very few signs little things here and there that are easy to ignore until suddenly the symptoms become dramatic a diagnosis is received and then the body's changes happen quickly one on top of another with no time to rest in between or catastrophically in the case of a heart attack or sudden death This seems to be the collective peril, the sort of holographic experience of our collective humanity today. There's this underlying disease spreading throughout the globe. The symptoms for most people, or many people, are easy to ignore, or happen in other places or are drowned out by the monotony of the day-to-day. And so the gravity of the diagnosis never sets in. But the more scientists worldwide that weigh in on ecological collapse and catastrophic climate change, the more we realize that the death of the world that we live in today is coming quicker and quicker and the symptoms are going to start piling up one on top of another. And for all of those of us who have had the privilege and comfort to be distracted by our day-to-day and pretend it isn't happening, it's going to happen to us too. One of my great, great, great times six grandfathers was associated with the monks of the Wissahickon in Philadelphia in the early 1700s, about 1708. They also went by a title, the Women of the Wilderness. They were alchemists, astrologers, Astronomers, they had a telescope. They were really interested in the movement of a particular comet that they thought was a signal for the end of days. So, my apocalyptic tendencies are inherited. <laughs> they even claim to have had the Philosopher's Stone. I have made no such claims. <laughs> They really believed that their um, children would never see a future, that it was the end of the world. And there is this apocalyptic bent to the human mind. We all think we're living in the end of days. It doesn't occur to me that the world will end. 
but it does occur to me that our way of life will end. And our way of life has ended many, many times before. The way of the horse and buggy has ended for all but the Amish and maybe a few others. The way of the indigenous people of North America ended 300 years ago in all but small pockets of this country. Many people's way of life has seen an apocalypse. Most people's way of life has seen an apocalypse. We've deluded ourselves in calling that progress most of the time, and so we haven't mourned it rightfully. And in some ways, it was progress. The apocalypse for the plantations in the South built on slave labor was progress. And perhaps our apocalypse will be progress in some ways too. Perhaps the apocalypse of addiction to consumption and cheap, easy fuel sources and non-renewable mined or extracted resources will lead to a more reverent or harmonious way of living. Or maybe it won't. I certainly don't know what's going to happen. I don't think anyone does. But I know it won't go on like this. Not forever, because I know that it can't. And today... I am just grieving. I'm grieving and I'm feeling the impact on my nervous system of the rage and fear and the anxiety bordering on mania that I see in the people all around me. So my message is not a hopeful one right now, but it is an authentic one. The truth is that I'm afraid for us. I have been with people at the end of their lives when they have ignored a diagnosis for too long, and then the symptoms have become excruciating. And with those particular people, it is so hard to find comfort for them at the end because there was so much denial and repression. And I worry about that for us collectively because we've been ignoring our diagnoses for so long. We've been in denial, we've been bargaining, 
we've been angry, but we haven't accepted the reality that our way of life is not sustainable and that we cannot survive outside of this biosphere. And even if we could, I'm not sure we would want to. I've seen many people given a heavy diagnosis, blame their doctors for not catching it sooner or not having a better treatment or indulging in the paranoia around conspiracy theories for withheld cures. I'm not saying that's not true. I don't know, but I know it's not helpful for people who are suffering from those diseases. And I see so many of the people around me doing the same things when they become awake to the diagnoses that we collectively have of desertification and catastrophic climate change and ecological collapse and pollution. And they do a lot of blaming and a lot of paranoia and a lot of conspiracy theory. And all of that can be helpful at venting our feelings of powerlessness and helplessness. At least it feels powerful to be angry. It feels better than being helpless. And yet, it does nothing to change our reality. And so I notice at this twilight of a day, what is asked for me in twilight? What is asked of me at twilight? feels to me like a time to slow down, to wind down, to look back over the day. My son and daughter and I have this long tradition at the end of the day to ask each other, what was your favorite part of today? What was the hardest part of today? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? And so I would ask all of us that collectively in this twilight, what do we love about this place? What is our favorite part of our lives as they are and of this world that we inhabit? What is the greatest challenge that we're facing collectively and personally? And what are our hopes for the future? What is in your control? What can you do about the challenges you face, the challenges we face? And what can you do today that will be a deposit for tomorrow, that will make tomorrow's world a little bit better Twilight is also a liminal time. There's a bat flying over my head right now. 
And in these liminal times and spaces, it is easier to access other worlds, visions and thoughts and dreams and creative inspirations that are not available to us in the light of day and are lost to sleep in the dark of night. So another question I would ask us is what inspiration can we draw from the other worlds? From myth and legend, from dreaming, from poetry, from art, from dance, from music. Not to distract and numb ourselves, but to process our grief and our rage and help us to touch the beauty that might actually make a difference. When I was in hospice, a saying that we used to share with our clients and we would remind each other of often is that even when you cannot cure something, you can always offer healing. So even if we cannot cure climate change or ecological collapse or political divisiveness, where can we offer healing? And healing is where we move toward wholeness and integration and individuation within belonging. If we make that our goal over the heroic and the reductionist goal of cure, what becomes possible then? What kind of art can we make? What kind of community can we weave? What kind of beauty can we devote ourselves to? What kind of abundant generosity of the heart can we share with each other? What kind of incredible legacy can we leave to this world even if we can't cure the damaging effects of our lifestyles? That is where my work is these days. I spent decades breaking myself against the world to change it, to save it, to rescue it. And I'm left with a tattered nervous system and an inflamed body and a clear awareness of the impossibility of that task. And so I stand before you tonight under this twilight sky in the chorus of night sounds to weave for you a song of beauty and love and devotion, not to curing anything 
but to loving everything as fully as I can muster. Because at the end of the day, that is where all healing comes from. And cures without healing are meaningless. Facebook, The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining.